Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, verse 46. Mark, chapter 10, verse 46. This is speaking of Jesus and the disciples. Then they came to Jericho as Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, that is the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. This man Bartimaeus has became quite famous in the early church. And from what we know, it appears as though he was probably somebody who would travel around the different churches saying how he had become a Christian. It's an extraordinary story because just earlier we've had in chapter 10 the rich young ruler, a religious man who has come to Jesus and has turned away from Jesus or has been turned away really. And then we have this man, blind Bartimaeus. Now I'll tell you what it's like. It's like us having a service here and I don't know, the Lord Provost or somebody coming in, someone wealthy, someone powerful, saying, I'd like to belong to your church. I'd like to become a Christian. I'd like to follow Jesus. And being given, him being given a challenge by us that says, no, wait a minute, that's too much. I'm out of here. And then us walking down the Perth Road and somebody sitting outside the DCA with a begging bowl saying, have mercy on me. And they end up following Jesus, becoming part of the fellowship. It's, it's a, something that is, was unusual then, and it's something that is sadly unusual now. But we need to remember that the bias in the New Testament, if you call it a bias, but the emphasis in the New Testament is that not many rich, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Some are, but not many. But it's the poor and the blind and those who are really, really struggling. And that's what we're just going to look at this evening, this story, just very briefly, this story of blind Bartimaeus. Give you some kind of background. Jericho, it's on the road to Jericho or the road from Jericho to Jerusalem. It's about 15 miles from Jerusalem. The main road goes right through the middle of Jericho. Uh, Jesus would be regarded as a rabbi. He's on his way to the Passover. And usually what happens is a whole crowd comes. Uh, those who were able to go to the Passover went. Those who weren't would line the streets and shout. It would be a big, big parade. Um, the priests, there'd be many, many priests. There were 20,000 priests associated with the temple. Not, any of, not all of them were needed uh, except at Passover. And at Passover from Jericho to Jerusalem, you would have... Many of these priests, they commuted by donkey or walking. They would commute to Jerusalem 
to take part in the great Passover feast. And as Jesus is walking along this road with his disciples, a blind man called Bartimaeus is sitting by the road begging. And incidentally, by the way, uh, those of you who are mega sharp, as you read through Mark's gospel, you will notice that this is the only miracle where the man is actually named. His name is given, which is a further indication that he was known in the early church. It's also, by the way, this is the last miracle that is recorded by Mark, apart from, of course, the great miracle of the resurrection. The blind could only get help by begging, and it was considered righteous to help blind beggars. So this guy was in a really good, a really key place. He had a top pitch for selling the big issue. He, he was in a good spot. He hears the crowd, and he asks, and there are three things that I want to look at in terms of, or two things that he says and one thing that Jesus says. First is simply this. He shouts, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, he's at the side of the road. There's a big crowd. He's told, he hears that it's Jesus of Nazareth. And that's also important, by the way, Jesus of Nazareth, because there were lots of Jesuses around at that time. And Jesus of Nazareth was someone unique and someone distinct. He shouted to him, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And again, we don't pick up on this because we're not from that culture. But it's really unusual to call him son of David. Again, you don't find that anywhere in Mark's gospel except from Peter. Because the term son of David is the term that was used for the Messiah who the Jews were waiting for. And virtually nobody recognized Jesus as the Messiah. But here's a blind man who hasn't been following Jesus, who is a beggar, who when he hears of Jesus of Nazareth, calls out, Jesus Messiah, Jesus son of David, have mercy on me. I think that you ask just simply, how did he know this? How, how did he know who Jesus was? I think that it is quite extraordinary sometimes that you get people who come along to church and who haven't a clue who Jesus is, and you get other people who don't come to church, and when they first hear about Christ or when they first meet a Christian, they, they grasp, they understand, it's something they believe in, it's something that, they, that somehow seems to have been communicated to them. He'd heard of Jesus, obviously. He must have thought about Jesus. He must have been attracted by Jesus. And yet he had this extraordinary faith, even though he was blind. Now I think that we ourselves are blind in so many ways. We do not see, but we also have reports of the power and the glory of Jesus Christ. We also have his promises. And I think that is what faith is, or at least the beginning of faith. It's leaning on the Savior's word. It's trusting in whom we have heard Jesus is. I know that there are people who say, unless I see, unless like Thomas, unless I can touch his hands and feel the holes in his hands where the nails were, then I won't believe. But we need to think a little bit more about what real faith 
actually is. Real faith is committing ourselves to a Jesus whom we have heard of, whom we have some idea about, and enough for us to call out to him to have mercy upon us. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, verse 48. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on him. He really had a nerve, that guy, in in some ways. There were people saying, shut up. Stop making a, a fool of yourself. You're sitting there and you're shouting at this man. What are you calling him? Son of David, what do you mean? Be quiet. And he shouts all the more until Jesus stops and says, call him. And they change. And of course, they do call him. Cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. And he comes to Jesus. And Jesus asks him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man says, Rabbi, I want to see. It's as simple and as straightforward as that. That's the second thing that we look at. The fact that here is a man who just has a simple request for Jesus. It's more than just a little bit simple because there's a real determination here. The determination to keep calling out even when he was making a fool of himself. The determination to follow Jesus even when he was told to be quiet. He shouts, he throws away his cloak and he runs to Jesus. And by the way, his cloak was something that was of crucial importance to him because that was, is what would keep him warm. It was also what he would use to beg. The money would be gathered into his cloak. And it's almost as though he's just saying, that's it. I'm, I'm, I'm throwing everything aside to follow Jesus. The rich young ruler couldn't do that. He couldn't give away the equivalent of his cloak to follow Jesus. He wanted to take it all with him. But this blind Bartimaeus had a faith and a trust in Jesus, which just simply said, he's calling me, I'm going, I'm leaving all this. I think if we want to be saved, we need to be like him. There are many people who will try and put us off. There will be people who say, don't, don't, chill. Don't be so religious. Don't be so earnest. Don't, you're turning into one of these Bible freaks. Don't do that. Don't keep chasing him. Watch out in case you turn into a fanatic, a religious fanatic. There was a, a lovely old man in the Free Church College called Principal Cameron. And he's an extraordinary character. Um, his wife was even more extraordinary. And I heard her give her testimony at a youth fellowship. And then she was about 90 years old. And she was just incredible. She had this very um, posh, uh, kind of, you know, very, very posh English accent, even posher than Kate's. It was really, it was just, it was a really, uh, you know, plummy, plum in the mouth accent. And she told us about how she, uh, when Billy Graham came to Glasgow in the 1950s, that uh, she said, I went to the railway station to meet him when he came because I knew he was going to be the man who would save me. And we were just sitting there laughing as she was saying this. And, she's, and uh, she did. She went down to meet him. And she went to every single meeting. And that's six weeks of meetings in Glasgow. She went to every single meeting so that she could hear about Jesus. She had it in her head. She said, I wanted to become a Christian. I wanted to find out. I wanted to, to know more. And so she said, I just, I just kept going. I just kept going. I was just so determined. Now, I don't think we are saved by our determination. I don't think that is what this is suggesting. 
But I think it is suggesting this, that if we are really serious about Jesus Christ, we will not be put off by people who oppose, by people who, who try and shove us aside, by all the different circumstances that get in the way. There really is a holy determination to lay hold of Jesus Christ. I think that that comes to us because, in a sense, God, first of all, lays hold of us. But we have a part to play as well. And that's why Jesus tells the parable of if you find a treasure in a field, what do you do? You, you sell everything you've got. You buy the field. Jesus is worth taking seriously. And for some people, and, and I know perhaps that for some of you, in a sense, you're trying to be a Christian. You've prayed for the feeling. You've looked for lots and lots of different things. I would say what this teaches us is not to look for that feeling, not to look for that experience. It just teaches us to look for Christ and to rely on Christ and to lean on Christ and to trust Christ. I think the reason that Bartimaeus was so determined was that he knew his need. He really wanted to see. And the reason we would be determined is if we know our need. Again, we pray as Christians that those who are not Christians would come to realize their need of Christ. If we know our condition and our need, then we will not let go of God until he blesses us. It's kind of not just wishful thinking, I'd quite like to be a Christian, but it's a desperate, desperate desire. I think there's an immediate response to the call of Jesus as well. And again, we have to be quite urgent in telling people the gospel. And those of you who are not Christians, you have to be quite urgent in responding. It's different for different people. I realize that. But I know that before I became a Christian, there were several times where I kind of rejected the gospel call. I'd be in a church or I'd be somewhere talking to somebody, but particularly in a church. And I would hear God's word and I would hear about coming to faith in Jesus Christ I say, that's a really important thing to do, and I know I need to do it, but not yet. Let me get this sorted, let me get that sorted, let me deal with this, let me get through this first. And I know that at one point, it wasn't quite an audible voice, but it was almost like it just saying, how long will you halt between two opinions? How long will you play around with God? Sometimes you only get one chance, and you have to seize that moment. Sometimes we have a desire to follow Jesus, but we do not act and the moment is gone. I think it's very important if you are conscious of God speaking to you, that you don't say, well, I'll deal with this in the morning or I'll deal with this at another time or I'll deal with this next week or let me sort out this issue in my life first. If you're conscious of God speaking to you, you respond now. I was reading, um, in fact, I wasn't reading, I was at the Creef conference this week and Sinclair Ferguson was talking about how one of the big differences he's noticed in the church since the 1950s and 1960s is the lack of prayer and the lack of effort and possibly even the lack of belief in terms of conversion, people becoming Christians. We're doing everything else except praying for and communicating the gospel to those who are not believers. 
And he said, it really is quite extraordinary. There's nothing revitalizes a church more than seeing new people come to faith in Jesus Christ. And I would argue that there's nothing that kills off a church more than believers who believe for themselves, but don't believe that Christ will save people today. There's an urgency in there. And we, those of us who are Christians, need to lay hold of that. If you're not a Christian, you need to grasp the urgency that is involved. One other thing about that. When we speak about our determination to be saved, the willingness of Jesus to save is more than our determination to be saved. What do you want me to do for you? Said Jesus. I love it. If you go back to verse 35, James and John, the disciples, come to Jesus and say, Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. They were coming to Jesus with demands as his, what they thought were his followers. Jesus says to this blind man, what do you want? I think that, again, we can offer to people a Jesus who is far more willing to save than sometimes we realize There are those of us who are Christians because we get this balance wrong. We have this awareness that human beings can't save themselves. And we have this awareness of human sin. And we have this awareness of how difficult it is to become a Christian and to follow Jesus. And we make the mistake of equating that with the reluctance of Jesus to save. But I see Jesus standing over Jerusalem and weeping. And I don't believe that Jesus is reluctant to save. As I was trying to say this morning, we've got a great God who, who, who cries out to the people of this city. What do you want me to do for you? I want to see. Uh, it's a great thing, let me say this, if you're not a Christian, just to pray, Lord, I don't see, help me to see. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Lord, I want to know who you are. Can you possibly imagine that God would ever refuse a request like that. He never refuses anyone who comes to him. And then the third thing is verse 52. I want to see, go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. His understanding was limited. Perhaps he knew his Bible and he would know from Isaiah that the Messiah would be the one who would heal the blind. Isaiah 35 and verse 5. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. I believe that this man didn't know a great deal about Christ, but what he did know was enough to make him trust Christ. 1 Peter 1.8. Though you have not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. It's one of the funniest things, isn't it, in the world? That people think, yeah, I'll believe in Jesus when I know him. I've been a Christian for almost 30 years. And I can so identify with the Apostle Paul in at least this one respect when I say that I want to know Christ. There's so many things about Christ that I do know and that I love in in Christ and just are absolutely incredible. But I know just a fraction. Though you've not seen him, you love him. 
And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. We're like the disciples who Andrew brought to Jesus. What do you want? We want to see Jesus. I, I actually think that's it. I think if that happened in our churches, I think if that happened in our lives, if we could just see Christ, if we just get hold of Christ, then everything else would be made, in, in, in a real sense, so much easier. This morning I, I said about what we call indicatives and imperatives. The imperatives are command, do this, repent, believe, trust, follow, and so on. The indicatives are the descriptions of what has happened. We need the indicatives about Christ, the, the descriptions of who Jesus Christ. We need to see Christ before we will obey the commands of Christ. But our, our God is a willing God. Our Christ is a willing Christ. And this man receives his sight. He doesn't go home. Immediately received his sight. And what did he do? He followed Jesus along the road. There's no indication he went back for his cloak or, or his, his former way of life because he wouldn't need it anymore. It's interesting again with the disciples. The disciples are dragging their feet. The disciples don't want to go. The man who's just become a follower of Jesus. He's happily going along with Jesus the whole way. Again, I just think there's a lesson in that for us as Christians. That we're, we're so reluctant to follow Christ in, in, with joy. Why? Because we've been battered, because we've had disappointments, because things have been tough in our life. Because we know that when you first become a Christian, everything, the grass is greener, the sky is bluer, everything is wonderful. Ah, but they'll soon learn. But what if you learn more of Jesus Christ? You overcome those disappointments and those hurts and that bitterness and everything else that's there. The grace of Christ makes us his follower. 2 Corinthians 5.14, Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. Christ's love motivates us and it compels us to follow him and to encourage others to follow him. There's a lovely prayer and I recommend that you pray it. It just goes simply like this. I was taught it nearly 25 years ago. It just, it's so simple. It's, Lord, draw me closer to you so that in being drawn, I may draw others. In other words, it's saying, Jesus, bring me nearer to you. And as I come nearer to you, then everyone else I, I, I connect with is drawn closer to you. I think that's the pattern here, the pattern of recognition of need, of faith in Jesus, of gratitude, then loyalty to him. I think it's moving from sitting at the edge of the road to actually walking along it. And maybe that's a, a good place for us to finish. Let me finish just saying two things about that. Some of you may be sitting at the edge of the road. You have an interest in Christ. You probably wouldn't be here unless you did. You have a curiosity. You have a... a, a a concern, you're making your mind up, you're making your mind up, you don't want to rush, you don't want to rush, you don't want to rush, you're a good Presbyterian, you never go into anything far too quickly. And Christ is calling you and he's basically saying, get up, get up off your backside, get up off the edge of the road, come walk with me, come follow me. What do you want? I want to see, I want to be close to you, I want to come follow me. I don't know how. I don't know what to do. Can you imagine the blind Bartimaeus? What do you mean? 
He just, he just went with him. He cried out to him and he went with him. I, would, I, I cannot bear the thought of anyone ever who comes into this church going away and not coming to know Jesus Christ. I, I cannot, I, I, that is just an awful, awful, awful thought. And that's really what we want. So for those of you who are, who are curious, who are wondering, maybe it's about time that you just responded. And for those of us who are already believers in Jesus, maybe we are dragging our feet a wee bit. And maybe the Lord calls us to repentance and calls us to an, a renewed joy in him and a, a renewed sense that actually he is for everybody. Is it wrong to ask this? Is it wrong for us as a church to say, Lord, could you in this coming year save people? Could you bring in our friends and our family? But not just friends and family. People who are walking by in the street. People who, can you bring people so that they would come to know you? Can we see the joy? If the angels in heaven rejoice over a sinner who repents, can we have a little bit of that on earth as well? Can we see it? And can we know it? Not because we want a full church. Not because we want ourselves to be, to, to be big. or to, Because our faith is so weak, we need to be reassured that it actually works. Not for any of these reasons. Just simply, we want Christ to be glorified in the salvation of sinners. This morning we looked at Jeremiah 4. And in Jeremiah 4.19, Jeremiah talks about the agony and the anguish of his heart. If I issue a challenge to those of you who are not Christians to come to Christ, my challenge to those of us who are Christians is this. And it's a real, this is a really challenging prayer to pray. It's, it's to say, Lord, give me the heart that you have for those who are lost. Because you'll be like Jeremiah. If that happens, you will weep. If that happens, you will, you will be burdened for people. But if that happens, in the words of Psalm 126, those who, are, those who go out sowing with tears will reap with songs of joy. We're going to sing uh, a song, Amazing Grace, in a moment. And it is Amazing Grace. You know that the original version of the song was written by John Newton, who is a slave trader. If you ever get a chance... Get the Banner of Truth book of Newton's letters and read his letters. They're the best thing that he wrote, even better than he wrote some great songs and some great sermons. But his letters are amazing. And what, what Newton couldn't get over was, how could God save somebody like me? I was so blind. I was such a wretch. And yet, look what God has done for me. And because... He was so astounded that God saved him. He believed that God could save anybody. And for the rest of his life, he never stopped communicating that to people. We need a renewed sense of what Christ has done for us and a desire to communicate the glorious gospel to others. May God bless his word to us.